This is the last of two podcast episodes on my experience teaching in Germany as a Fulbright Scholar in 2007-2008. Here I concentrate on what Germans wanted to know about Americans and what Americans need to know about Germans. In terms of my outreach to German citizens while I was in Halle, I was contacted by the American consulate in East Germany, and they wanted me to speak before a group in the city of Chemnitz, which under the communists had been called Karl Marx Stadt, Karl Marx City. Chemnitz is a city which was just in the news a few weeks ago when there was an anti-migrant riot in which some people who had immigrated to Germany in the last couple of years were actually beaten up, and certainly the immigration policy of the German government under Angela Merkel was protested there. But 10 years ago, when I was in Germany, uh, Chemnitz was a city uh, that was on hard times. We would, we would probably describe it as a Rust Belt city where unemployment was high, and uh, there was, of course, a middle class, and they were the ones who were most likely to be attending my little talk on the American political system. They wanted to know who I thought would be the Democratic or Republican or both candidates for the election of 2008. At the time, I thought that Hillary Clinton was most likely to be the Democratic nominee, and that there was some talk about Barack Obama in fact, my students acted as if they would have preferred Obama. They wanted to know more about him and whether I thought he had a chance. But I told both audiences that Obama did have a chance, but that I did not see how he could make it through the process with Hillary Clinton's advantages at the time. So I proved to be wrong in those predictions. But the audience was very warm and friendly. They, they were trying to welcome me as much as they could. It was obvious they did not have a chance to meet with many Americans, and they seemed to be appreciative of the opportunity to do so. So I know that the American consulate continues to have this outreach to the local communities there, and it helps for Germans to have a good sense of what America is like. Some of the things that I encountered were not surprising to me. For example, Germans, in some respects, have a higher quality of life than Americans do. Because of the social support system, Germans do not have to worry about health insurance. They're automatically covered. Yes, their taxation is higher, but as a result of that taxation, they get services in return that they value very much. Germans are healthier because they do more walking. The automobile is not as critical a factor in Germany. Now, most people do have automobiles, but they don't drive them all the time. They may drive them on trips on the weekends or to the grocery store once in a while, but in general, they walk, and they use the trams, which are subsidized by the government. Train service and tram service is very reliable, very affordable. And by walking a great deal, they stay healthy. They do not tolerate genetically modified foods. 
And although genetically modified foods have not been shown to be of any scientific risk whatsoever to people, the Europeans are not so sure, and they just ban it outright, partly because their products don't have GMOs, and American products do, and it's one way to keep American products out of their market. But when we walked through these squares, which we did every day, we would see older couples holding hands, out for a walk, out for a stroll, breathing the air, and the air tended to be more healthy than it is in many American cities. And the, the result is you have a sense of people having a different definition of what the good life is than Americans. When I returned to the United States, the thing that struck me most of all was, well, there were several things that struck me. One was the fact that you didn't see all these super highways and clover leaves and broad streets like in the United States where the car is king. Everything is catered to the automobile and the people who worship the automobile in the United States. And this creates an enormous amount of urban blight. Uh, American cities are not particularly attractive. They're not particularly community-oriented. They're all oriented around the automobile. And this makes American cities more spread out, and it makes people-to-people -people contact more difficult, except in terms of small groups when people drive to one another's locale or meet somebody somewhere. But in Germany, people are strolling the streets, they stroll in the marketplace, they have a sense of community, and I think that's an admirable thing. Now, the other thing that struck me while I was over in Germany was the fact that everything was very, very difficult for me, primarily because I did not know German. Just to communicate, the simplest thing was a struggle. Germans would try to understand me. In fact, many Germans, all Germans at the university, but even many Germans outside the university did know rudimentary English. And so this was not impossible. It was just a struggle, something that we take for granted in the United States. So that when I returned to the U.S., everything seemed so much easier. Everything seemed lighter. The American people are warmer, they're more friendly, they're more outwardly friendly. They, of course, they speak English, so everybody can understand each other, and that never becomes an issue. On the other hand, when you're placed in a situation where you have to learn a foreign language, at least to a rudimentary extent, you will learn it, and it doesn't matter how old you are you will learn what you need to learn to get by. It doesn't mean that each day ceases to be a struggle. It's always a struggle. But you get used to it after a while. You get used to that struggle. You expect it to be part of the way things are. And as a consequence of that struggle, you end up learning the, the language without having to sit down and study it as a course of study. Now, I, I was only in Germany for five months, so I can't say that I left Germany speaking the language fluently. That was certainly not the case. 
But I knew a lot of words. I knew a lot of rules of the language. And I even had the sense when I came back that I was thinking in German. For example, when I would label folders after I got back for the first month or six weeks, I would actually use German words to fill out the labels on the forms. It's a double-edged sword when you visit another culture. You learn something, but it's hard work. And when it ceases to be hard work, not only do you stop learning, but you start forgetting that which you did learn. One of the final cities we visited in Germany was in Munich. And I want to say a few words about our visit to Munich. We had been to Munich before. It takes about five hours on the train to get there from northern Germany. Munich, again, was a city we, we knew well, but it was a city that we tried to investigate in a different way than, than before. One of the things we did was we visited the English Garden, which is like the central park of Munich, and we also visited the, the university there, the Ludwig Maximilians University, which is the university where Hans and Sophie Scholl attended during World War II. Hans and Sophie Scholl were members of the White Rose student group, which protested the Nazis. They distributed leaflets while they were students condemning the war. By this time, Stalinburg, by this time, the Germans were bogged down in Russia and the death toll was going sky high. And so the members of the White Rose, who were students, they, and so the members of the White Rose, who were students, were able to distribute these leaflets and feel like they were doing something to fight Hitler. Well, of course, the story ends badly and sadly because the members of the White Rose were rounded up and Hans and Sophie Scholl were executed. There were other members of the White Rose. And while I was there, I talked to somebody in the library, and she pointed out that there was a, a man named Franz Muller who had been one of the White Rose members who had been captured, and he was put on trial in the second trial of the White Rose members, and he was sent to prison for a long prison term, but he was not executed because German public opinion had turned against the harsh justice meted out to Hans and Sophie Scholl, and the German government did not dare to inflict the same punishment upon the second group of White Rose members, most of whom were under the age of 18. So uh, Franz Muller was in town, and uh, the librarian called him up, and he came over and talked to me and my wife about the White Rose. And so that tended to collapse history and make the distance between the past and the present melt away. So that was an inspiring moment in our trip. When we went back to the train to go back to Hala, we had an un unusual experience, or at least I did. I went to the bookstore in the train station, and I purchased a book by Christopher Browning on the origins of the final solution. And so I went to purchase the book, and the cashier suddenly treated me like I was his mortal enemy. He asked me in extremely angry and harsh tones what I was doing. He told me to hurry up 
And I, I was so taken aback that I did respond in a similar tone, I must say. But it was only after leaving the shop that I put two and two together and concluded that he objected to me buying a book about the Holocaust, which was sold by the very shop he worked at. He may have been a neo-Nazi. He certainly acted like one, and I could imagine the stormtroopers of the 1930s being cut from the same cloth as this individual. When we got back on the train, it was time to go back to Hala. And so, in a small and very insignificant way, of course, that event made me reflect that there are neo-Nazis in Germany's midst. We should not exaggerate the number of them. We should not exaggerate their, their influence upon the country. But their influence appears to be growing, and that should trouble us all. And so I returned to Halle for the rest of my stay as a Fulbright scholar. In sum, it was an experience like none other that I've had. There were experiences that helped me understand Germany and helped me understand my own country at the same time. Because it's only when you have something to compare your society to that you can appreciate what is so special about your own society. You can also get some insights into what might work better in your own society when you get a chance to see a society that may have a leg up in some areas and may ha have something to teach your own society. For instance, gun culture in Germany is non-existence. Guns are regulated. You can't get a gun just because you want one. And as a result, there are far fewer shootings in Germany than in the United States. But this is well known, and this is true of all European countries in contrast to the United States. When I returned to the United States in February 2008, I was impressed by several things. One was that I had lost a lot of weight, and I realized that I had found a weight loss method that I could no longer make use of. Our apartment was six stories up. There was no elevator. So we constantly walked up and down every day several times. This made me so healthy. And the food, because it was not full of preservatives, was not as fattening as American food. We walked everywhere. That was also very important. But I, yes, I, I lost a lot of weight in those five months and I gained it all back within a year, I guess, of returning to the U.S., probably even sooner than that. So I don't know what the lesson is from that, but it was ironic that the one weight loss method that I found in my life that actually worked was one that was difficult for me to continue once I got back to the car culture of the United States, where everything was so easy but I'm not sure everything was as healthy. Towards the end of our stay in Germany, I heard a noise from my apartment, a loud blaring from a speaker on the Market Square. It sounded like an old newsreel of a raging Adolf Hitler. I had to see what was going on, so I went downstairs to the street, up to the Market Square, 
And there was a man standing there with a loudspeaker and a microphone. And he was a representative of the NPD, which is the National Democratic Party of Germany. It is a very tiny political party on the far right of the political spectrum. And it wants to ban immigration to Germany and also return to a kind of neo-Nazi past. It's particularly popular in the area of Sachsen-Anhalt, which is where Halle lies. It was interesting to see this because it demonstrates the way in which Germany handles political demonstrations. Very different from the United States. The NPD is allowed to speak out because Germany is a democracy. But the German government wants to make sure that there is no violence. And therefore, people are allowed to speak out. But there is a heavy police presence. The police stand right next to their cars. There were about 10 cars in the market square. And people were milling around in the square, but they were not listening to the speaker. And I think this is the almost scripted pattern of the German response to demonstrations of neo-Nazis. Most people ignore them. The police turns out heavily, but keeps its distance. And the speaker gets his say. Now, of course, Political parties on the far right are becoming a greater concern in Germany today. Notice the rise of Pegida, which is a German organization opposed to migration from people in the Middle East. And so right-wing groups have become more popular in Germany, and it's definitely a concern. But it was another reminder of how political democracy is fragile. And, of course, always these things make you appreciative of democracy in your own country as well. Well, vielen Dank and thank you very much for listening to this rather long episode in the podcast Hijacking History. The podcast is available on iTunes or on your favorite RSS aggregator. Please stay tuned for another episode in a few weeks from our podcast series. If you have any questions about this podcast episode, please go to historyrevisited.blueberry.net. That's historyrevisited.blueberry, that is B-L-U-B-R-R-Y dot net. And leave a comment. I would be very appreciative of that. So in the meantime, happy listening. Thank you.